0: few verses in Matthew 28 and really we're just going to dip into them and I think that's as much as I would claim for this evening. So this is the bit uh, chapter 28 verse 16 then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus has told them to go. So it's that little bit there Uh, we've seen the risen Christ uh, that he's been met and he has uh, referred them onwards to uh, a future meeting back up north in Galilee where everything began. And that's where Matthew takes us in verse 16 and onwards. So I was trying to think of a a metaphor for this ending. So your taste in music is different to mine, but I, I was watching a while ago now some rock bands performing at Glastonbury, And it is a typical thing, you you might have to believe me on this, Uh, for a rock band when they come to the end of a a really um, anthemic piece of music and there's a a, a chord at the end where the guitarist goes mad and the drummer goes mad and everything builds up and they go... Boom! <clears throat> like that, and finish like that. And the guitarist usually jumps up in the air, and as he falls to the ground, everything stops. And there's this huge way of, of finishing a piece of music. You may not have seen it. You may have. You may have even participated in such a thing. But it is, uh, a, you know, a really impressive way to end a piece of music. And this is a really impressive end to the gospel. It is a, a, a sort of the final chord. Which makes, uh, which resolves everything, or or almost everything. So you could say one of the one of the commentaries I was looking at uh, was saying you could almost think that the whole point of Matthew's gospel is to get us to these few verses. That you could almost say everything in the gospel uh, leads to these verses and is resolved in these verses. Every Every thread that you have in the gospel links up to these uh, last few words. And I think there's a lot to be said for that. It's like this closing chord. Here all the threads link up. And it is these uh, words are the springboard for the age in which we now live in. So the age of going to the temple, the age of... Jerusalem being God's headquarters on earth, all that is closing extremely rapidly. But the age in which the promises about Jerusalem that all nations will stream to it, the promises about uh, um, God's purposes and the king being king over everything, that's now number one thing on the agenda and that's the springboard for this new age. And the next thing, that is on the agenda, is his return, which the Bible talks about as his coming. His coming into power. His coming into uh, um, hands-on, kingly recognition. So that's how important these verses are, and let's uh, just make a few comments on them as we go through. So first of all, uh, verse 16, the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. So we notice that the, this is based, in some sense, in Galilee. Galilee is a theme in Matthew's Gospel. Who, when the crowd said, who is this person coming in on the donkey, do you remember what the re- re- reply was? Do I remember what the reply was? Is Jesus the prophet from from Galilee or from Nazareth? From Nazareth in Galilee, the crowd said, this is Jesus the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. And it's worth trying to get a little grip of what Galilee was like. It's not the sophisticated Jewish center of culture and religion. That was Jerusalem. And by and large, Jerusalem was pretty hostile to Jesus. Uh, Galilee, um, you have to make a trek to get there. It's a little sort of area on its own. It's not a very highly respected area. If you think of the history of um, of the nations, uh, the, the northern kingdom, you remember, was taken into exile, and it was repopulated with all sorts of random people uh, they had a strange accent. There was, uh, there's a, you can still find Jewish jokes about people from Galilee. I mean, old, old Jewish jokes, not modern Jewish jokes, but they, they still have jokes. You can find them recorded about their, um, their rough accents. They're, they were unsophisticated. And by the cultured people of Jerusalem, they were despised. And this is one of the threads of the Gospel. He will be called... A Nazarene. Remember that? Uh, that's, Jesus, that's what Jesus is called. He's called one of those people from up there in Galilee uh, and Nazarene. And Galilee itself is referred to, remember, we'll go, go back at the beginning of Matthew's gospel because as I said, things that are mentioned earlier on all come to a, a focus later on. In Matthew What have I got? I put 4.12, yes. This is uh, when Jesus began his ministry, and it was in fulfillment, uh, Matthew 4.12 and onwards, it was in fulfillment of what the prophet said, land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, the way of the sea along the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light, and those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. It's actually referred to as Galilee of the Gentiles. Where does that quote come from? It does come from Isaiah. Yes, that's correct. And it's interesting that, as Matthew puts it, the center of Jesus' operations is not, is not going to aim for Jerusalem, the, um, the center of culture and sophistication and religious power, He's going to work from a different base. I think that's worth taking a bit of encouragement from in our sort of rapidly post-Christian age, the age in which the Christian church could claim to say, uh, we are the establishment. Uh, England is a Christian country by law, by practice um, in actual reality Uh, people take different views on this if if we were in Northern Ireland people would take a very different view on this but I think where we are we we would say those days are gone Uh, our our council here I think they probably have prayers before the council meeting but I doubt very much whether the councillors think that anything particularly uh, relevant has happened and you might say that Brighton is a particularly um, detrimental example, but I think we're the example of where the rest of the country is going as the years go by. But we take comfort from the fact that Jesus never said, oh, we've got to be in the centre of power, we've got to be the people who rule in the Houses of Parliament. Uh, He said, I'm perfectly capable of building my kingdom from a marginal position, from an an outlying position. Uh, I don't depend on having legislative power. Uh, My kingdom works in a different way. Maybe a point for discussion, but I think it's relevant that Jesus went to Galilee to start this off. Next thing I'd like us to notice is, in uh, well, in verse seventeen it says they worshipped Jesus, but some were bewildered or something like that, didn't know what to make of it. Then Jesus came to them and said, now this is noteworthy: all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So this is one of the alls. There are four alls: all authority all nations all things i've commanded all days uh, so this all is the all of all authority now this is a very strong thread that's been going through the gospel the question of his kingly rule the question of his kingly rule and its uh, the question of its reality the question of its extent the question of its progress in time, and in a moment we'll pick up that thread, but I I invite you to look at the last book of the Bible, the last book of the Old Testament. Now you might be turning to Malachi, but when the Jewish Bible was put together, the way they put it together, so I'm reliably told, was that two chronicles was the last book in the Bible. So if you're not that good at finding where Chronicles is, and I'm not that good at finding, don't worry, I'll read it to you. Last book in the Old Testament, this is where the Old Testament finishes, is of a king, talking about his kingdom and his authority, and uh, how people should move in response to that. Uh, 2 Chronicles, chapter 36, verse 23. This is the last words of the... Jewish Bible, this is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says, The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. Any one of his people among you, may the Lord his God be with him, and let him go up. It's just interesting, isn't it, that the Jewish Bible ended with a claim to all the kingdoms of the earth, uh, a claim that, uh, a prayer that God would be with his people, and sort of marching orders to go and get on with the next thing, which in that case was the rebuilding of the temple. So in, in the order of the way the books were put together, I'm reliably told, that was the last words in the Old Testament. Now we have... This, these words from Jesus in the New Testament, and of course, he says the same thing multiplied many, many times. He says, all authority, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And he makes a, uh, a promise of being with his people. I am with you always. And he gives marching orders to go and make disciples. So it's just an interesting comparison. But let's uh, follow the thread that I mentioned earlier, which is the thread of Jesus' kingship. So this, too, starts off at the beginning of the Gospel, where in Matthew 2, verse 2, the wise men, the magi, come and they ask. Do you remember the question that they ask? Is he born king of the Jews? Yeah, where is the king? Where is he who is born king of the Jews? And that kingship is um, referred to, sometimes referred to in, in mockery. So 27:11. The governor, Pilate, says to Jesus, "Is this who you are? Are you the king of the Jews?" You remember that in verse 29, Matthew 27:29, the soldiers uh, take it upon themselves to clothe Jesus as if he were a king with a scarlet robe and a crown of thorns to smash him on the head and bow down in mock, mock worship and say, Hail, King of the Jews. And you remember that in verse 37, the charge above the cross of Jesus was. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. And whether Pilate had ordered that there out of irony or out of mockery, if this is the best specimen of Jewish nobility, uh, then it's a pretty poor state. This is the king of the Jews. Or what? I mean, there's probably a number of things were going on. But that was the claim That was mocked. But this is the claim that Jesus had always promised would be fulfilled. And there's a load of references there. For example, 1341, which says, The kingdom of heaven is like this. The son of man... Verse 41 will send out his angels. They will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the fiery furnace where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. Which is a rather grand vision, isn't it, of what the Son of Man will achieve. He will send out his angels. They will weed out of his kingdom everything that is evil. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their fathers. It envisages Jesus' kingship truly universally established. And there are several verses like that. I think we've got time to look at a couple more. For example, 1628 where Jesus looks well ahead and promises 16 Matthew 16:27 16, the son of man is going to come in his father's glory with his angels and he will reward each person according to what he has done i tell you the truth some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the son of man coming in his kingdom which i think refers to the transfiguration which happens straight afterwards. But it's a promise of the Son of Man having a great kingdom uh, that he will come with his glory and will reward each person according to what he's done. Let's zoom on to, I think, 25... Yeah, 2531. Which is another of these promises of the king in his kingdom and he says this this is jesus speaking about himself matthew 25 31 when the son of man comes in his kingdom and all the angels with him he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory all the nations will be gathered before him he will separate the people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats right and the goats on his left then the king will say to those on his right come you who are blessed by my father inheritance the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world and it's quite a long parable but you can see the the point of it that jesus is saying the end of the world the king will sit upon his throne and he will judge all the nations and this king is jesus And throughout the gospel, these promises uh, continue to be made and Jesus continues to teach along this line. And we ought to look back to Daniel chapter 7, because this is one of the classic sources of these thoughts and visions and promises. Daniel chapter 7. Verse 13. So we've gone way back to, to Daniel. Daniel is looking forward in, in a visionary sense to what the future will be. And this is one of the things that he sees. Daniel chapter 7 verse 13. In my vision at night I looked and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, men of every language, worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, that will not pass away and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed and without trying to confuse you with lots and lots of words that's a very important thing that's being said there Daniel was uh, seeing this in the midst of political turbulence one power up against another power he was right in the centre of all that And what he sees is a vision, it is a vision, of someone like a son of man, a human being. And this person comes into power. They come into the presence of God, the Ancient of Days. And this human is treated as divinity, the amount of glory that he's given, he has given authority, glory, power, and all nations, all peoples, men of every language, worship Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not His kingdom is one that can never be destroyed. And you see the point that Jesus keeps on referring to this sort of thing: The Son of Man will come into his glory. All through his life, this is the thing that's challenged. You're the king of the Jews. Uh, How can you be the king if you're suffering on the cross? How can you be the king if you're being beaten up and spat on? But he holds on to this. This is what will be. The Son of Man will be given that glory. And all nations will worship him. People, yeah, all different nations and languages. And... In the bit that we're looking at in Matthew's Gospel, I think it's pretty clear that Jesus is saying, this is fulfilled. The words aren't totally exactly the same, but they're very close to it, aren't they? He says, here I am. I died on the cross. I'm risen from the dead. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, it's, there's still unfinished business because all the nations don't yet worship him, but that's what Jesus sets about to be done. Now is the sending out of my messengers so that one day the Lamb will be upon the throne and he'll be surrounded by thousands upon thousands from every tongue and nation and language, and they'll be giving honor to the Lamb upon the throne. That's where we're headed with this. But Jesus says, all authority and in heaven and earth, I've already got that. That's mine now. And this is the basis on which he says all the other things. I've got that authority No doubt about my kingly power now. The resurrected Christ is the kingly Christ. He is the ruling Christ. So let's go on to see what he says on the basis of this. Verse 19. So since I have all this authority and power, you go and make disciples of all nations. Oh, I just remind us that this word, go, has cropped up several times. You might like to look through with a pencil that you can rub out if you get it wrong. But there's quite a lot of commandings to go, go, go quickly. And here Jesus says, your job now is to go and make disciples of all nations a disciple is somebody who hears and believes and follows and obeys. That's what a disciple is. It isn't just somebody who hears. Lots of people heard, but they weren't disciples. It isn't just just somebody who only says they believe. Because Jesus is looking for people who believe it to the point that they'll do something about it. Because otherwise, believing is not really, doesn't really mean very much, does it? The disciples, typically, Jesus said to his disciples, "Um, leave your nets, follow me. Follow me, I will make you fishers of men. That's what discipleship looked like in the beginning of Matthew. And it was confined to those, particularly to the fishermen and then to people who subsequently followed him and now jesus says take that thought and apply it to everybody go into all the world don't not just fishermen certainly not just jewish people but people in the supermarket where you go to people in the jungle people in the desert people in the mega cities make disciples of all of them this is the fulfillment of the isaiah 2 idea, isn't it? Behold, the the mountain of the Lord's house will be established as chief among the mountains, and all the nations will flow to it. This is what Jesus is saying. Make disciples of all nations. And Christians call that mission. They call it missionary work. But I think Jesus is saying quite clearly here, you, my disciples, have a mission. You have a purpose. You have a task. You have instructions, which is to go and make disciples. I'll come back to that in a moment, but it's, it is what he says. And we are to take that on board. He doesn't say, stay where you are, everything's going to be fine. He does say, go and make disciples. That's actually our standing orders. And, and if you like, that's what being a church member is about. It's saying, I identify with this mission. I'm not going to do it all over the place. That's what this church is doing. We are on a mission here. This is a particularly a mission to Brighton. Apparently not that many people want to go on a mission to Brighton, but we're here, so we might as well go on a mission to Brighton, and we're seeking to make disciples of people here. That's what we're doing, isn't it? Yeah, that is what we're doing. And he is he, a bit specific about it. He says baptizing them. Uh, so again, we go back to things that were already in the gospel. So there was baptizing right back in the beginning, wasn't there? John the Baptist was baptizing people. Uh, John the Baptist baptized people who were Jewish. And they were saying, we're, we, want to be, we want to take this seriously. We want to be ready for the Messiah. We want to be ready for the Lord. We, our, our lives aren't right. We want to clean them up. We want to turn back. want to express that. We want to be washed, cleansed, powerfully, spiritually. We'll dip into water to express that. And that was what John the Baptist did. And now we come back to the end of the gospel. And Jesus says, take that thought, expand it, and, 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 and do it to as many people as will be believers. So to take that disciple-making, baptizing, go and do that to all nations. It's finding people who say, I'm dirty, I need a deep cleansing wash. And I do that, as it says here, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And I'm not going to stop on this, but this is actually Trinitarian theology. So thank you, Katie, for praying so often to the triune God. The triune God is the God who is three and who is one. And it is one name, the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. There's one God, one name, and three persons. We won't stop on that, but it's a significant thing. It's a big thing to suddenly say, this is who God is. This is who the God of Israel is. He is Father. He is the Son. He is the Holy Spirit. Complete radicalization of understanding of who the Lord, the God of Israel, has always been. So they are baptized in the name of the Lord, beginning their lives in God. And it says, going on by teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So again, we could take all the things that have been going on in the gospel earlier on, for example, the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus says, I'm going to teach you. I'm going to teach you how you live in the kingdom. Um, You've heard it said that uh, you love your friends and hate your enemies. Well, I'm going to say you love your enemies. And Jesus is going to take the things that were taught in the Old Testament, and every single thing is going to deepen, make more radical, uh, and um, fulfill, fill it with its full meaning. And he's going to say, that's how to live in the kingdom. And of course, he said those things to his, uh, his Jewish disciples. And now Jesus is going to say, well, you go to everybody, and you teach them the way to live in the kingdom. I mean, clearly, you're not teaching them how to be Jews. You're going to deepen everything. You know, Jews had their food laws, and, and Jesus says, That's, we, we deepen that through to, um, to, to living for God in every way. And he says, I want you to go and teach people to live for me, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Just point out, he does talk about keeping the things that he said. Uh, and I refer back to what he says right at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. You remember the, the there's a, it's a wonderful children's thing, isn't it? The man who built his house on the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock. How does it go after that? That's, upon the rock came tumbling we're going to do this now (laughs) Okay. uh, in case you weren't sure about it there was the man who built his house on the sand have you seen those pictures of Hemsby Helmsby where the FIC conference was those poor people whose houses were built on sand and they've now gone tipping over the cliff It was just a couple of weeks ago, wasn't it? Helmsby? Yeah. Hemsby. Hemsby. Let's not go to that. So people do build their houses on sand, and they do fall over. The wise man built his house on the rock. Now, we have to get straight what Jesus is referring to, because it's quite tempting to say that the rock is Jesus, because quite often that is the correct answer. But in this case, Jesus says... This is a man who hears my word, and this is a man who hears my word. This is a man who hears my word but doesn't do it. This is the man who hears my word but does do it. The difference is whether they do what he says. That's what the difference is between the wise man and the foolish man. So this that Jesus says, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded means what it says he's looking for disciples who will put into practice what he says it's not the same thing as getting people to do everything that we we think they ought to do because sometimes it's just us but the things that Jesus says they should do need to be taught and they need to do those so we need to disciple people We need to be trained and to train one another and to train one another up in living the Christian life. How does a kingdom person live life in employment? What is a Christian attitude to employment? How does a Christian live in terms of money? What do we do with money? answer is we make a deliberate and systematic attempt to give it away. That's what disciples do. How do we live in family life? We, we husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. Wives are to submit to their husbands as, Christ does, as the church does to Christ. We're to bring up our children in the fear and nurture of the Lord. Uh, children are to obey their parents how do we make decisions in life we seek the wisdom of the Lord and there's all sorts of teaching about that how do we relate to people we relate to people in a Christian way let, let your yes be yes and your no be no treat other people as you would have them treat you How do we use our time? We invest our time realising, as Jesus says, that we just have so much time and there is a world to come to make sense of how we use time now. All those sorts of things. Teaching them to obey the things I've commanded you. That was a lot of words. Does that make sense? Last thing. Surely I am with you all days, always, to the end of the age. And there's a behold in there. Behold, I am with you. The enabling personal presence of the divine Saviour. We were told right back at the beginning that his name would be Emmanuel, which means God with us. And at the end of this, we find the promise, I am with you. Which is a brilliant promise, isn't it? Uh, God with us. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. That is such a precious thing to God's people, isn't it? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil because you are with me. Um, Hebrews 13, verse 5, we have this promise, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And interestingly, in Hebrews 13, 5, he um, applies it in terms of money. He says, keep your lives free from the love of money, be content with what you have, for he has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So that God's the promise of his presence is a very powerful and precious thing. Do you know that um, I don't know what you call it story thing of the two sets of footprints? Oh, you all know it. I won't bother then. But uh, that's that's a fair enough thing, isn't it? Two sets of footprints. My footprints, the Lord's footprints. Looking back, one place, there's only one set of footprints. Lord, why did you leave me? Answer, I didn't leave you. That's the part of life I carried you. I am with you always. The other Gospels would put that presence in terms of the Holy Spirit, which is... uh, how you could elaborate on that. But please notice that the the presence here is not put related to money or difficult times, but it's related to spreading the gospel. Go into all the world, make disciples, I'm with you. And perhaps we could link it with uh, John's reference to the Holy Spirit he will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. Because as we go to make disciples, we cannot do that on our own. It is just not doable. It's not within us to do that. God will use us, but he does the part that we can't do. He can, only he can whisper inside somebody's soul, this is true. Only he can whisper inside somebody's soul You're wrong. You need you, you got it wrong, you're out of order. You need to confess your sin. Only he can do that. And this is the promise of the presence of the Lord in that. Therefore he says, Go. And surely I'm with you always to the end of the age. And I suppose the go is the is the operative word, it's the unfinished business and I think we ought to feel the weight of that uh, he does say go so he doesn't say sit still and wait for other people to come to you he does actually say go uh, so we don't need further instructions Jesus has already said, go into all the world and make disciples, we don't have to wait for any further instructions Go. That's okay. Go. We don't need anyone else's permission. Don't need anyone else's permission. We don't need to make sure that the government agree with us on this. We go anyway. The early Christians did not have uh, sort of government approval. In some cases, they were subversive. They didn't go looking for trouble, they didn't go deliberately provocative but they went anyway. The reason being that the King of Kings has told us to go. All authority in heaven and earth is given to me, says Jesus. Therefore, go. So we don't need anyone else's permission. And I trust that by his grace, we've got that. We might not be as good at it as we would like to be, but we do hear, the, we do hear these words, go, and I trust we're saying, yes, Lord, just show me how. Show me what step to take. I'm ready to do that. Show me who to go to. Show me what, what door is open. Might be just a tiny little door. Might be just a, 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 a word. But I'm ready to go. You know, that applies across the board. We're all to obey the things that he commanded. So we go. And as a church, it's one of the things we promise in church membership that will keep the church going, not just ticking over going, but going out, faithful in making the gospel known. And got so many things to think about and so many things to pray about, but we really, really must not forget what our mission is. From the risen Savior to go... And make disciples of all nations. Let's, uh, let's sing one of those songs.